Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Old Dominion 31-17. to Robbie, how you feeling? Well, it's a it's a win. That's where I, that's where I'm at right now. We had a little bit of talk about this uh, over the course of uh, of the past few days, and uh, I think I'm I'm in slightly better spirits than others, although a little bit frustrated. And it uh, was Old Dominion, but listen, chalk it up as a W. First W of the season, man. Give us a cheers. Well, I'll I'll just keep it there. Uh, you know, you got to start somewhere. It was a tough loss. Uh, to Boston College up in Chestnut Hill. Came it back to the home game uh, in a game that I think everybody expected that we should win. And um, they pulled it out, not in the most glorious of fashions and certainly not the 114 to nothing that Wisconsin's managed to uh, pull off so far, I think, this year, which is pretty yeah. pretty incredible. But um, I also don't know that we really expected this team to, to turn the corner that quickly. So I'm just... I'm happy to uh, to get that win, go one and one, and uh, turn our attention to a couple other teams, and eventually get back into uh, ACC conference play. Um, but first up, we got we got Furman, so I'll just give a cheers to to get the W and uh, and getting that over with. And we didn't exercise the ghost. I would say it's more of like in the movies where you know, you get to the end of the movie and they're like, oh, we got rid of the ghost. We killed it. And then in every horror movie that you know is going to have a sequel, like it has that weird like thing that happens like the, right at the end. Yeah. yeah. Like the doll's eyes shine red or something along those lines. So I'm not sure that we killed it, but we, we got rid of it for the time being. So let's leave it at that. Cheers. Yeah. It's hard to say you killed it when the scores from the last two years are identical, like for both teams. If you added up the scores, you know, they beat us by 14 last year. We beat them by 14 this year. So we're dead even over the last years. Fortunately, we did shut them out, what, 38 to nothing the year before. So we're still in the lead from playing Old Dominion. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we all would have liked to see a little bit more of a margin of victory, I think, uh, last weekend. Let's start with the news and notes. One of the reasons I think that margin of victory wasn't bigger was because of, again, the injuries that we already have, and that would be Hazleton and, well, I guess it's Jackson, Hoyt, Garbett, Quillen, and Holston were all newer injuries, but Hazleton and Porcher were held out of game one, but Porcher did play this game. Hazleton, unfortunately, is still out. So some key guys there on the offensive line. You got two starters that didn't play, and, and instead you had freshman Doug Nestor and redshirt freshman John Harris starting at center. So not the best way to start the game versus Old Dominion right up front there, but I feel like for freshmen they still did okay. Yeah, I think uh Harris you know performed pretty well. Nestor I think had uh, pretty good blocking. Um uh, I'd really like to see whenever he's ready, I don't, I don't when Hazelton gets back out there. I think that's just another force for us and um, each of our wide receivers brings something, which is awesome, a little bit more unique to the position. And he obviously brings something pretty special and had been a safety valve for Willis for a long time that uh, Willis is going without. Um, but that's also forcing Willis to spread the ball around a little bit more. And it might be a good way to kick off the season for when Hazleton gets healthy and comes back into it. It could really um, you know, put some jump, jumper boosters on on this offense, and at least in the past game. 
Yeah, I, Hazleton, we are missing him for sure. Although the receivers have probably been the most promising group of everyone, so when he gets back, it, like you said, it could take it to the next level. One last note on the offensive line, guys. When Harris and Zansi or Janzi came out, they put in Hudson and my boy Luke Tenuta, and they did pretty well also. So two more freshmen, again, a true and a redshirt, but four different freshmen getting minutes on the offensive line in game two of the season. We knew that they were going to play, but maybe not needed to be relied on this much this early, uh, especially with Hoffman and Hoyt going out at center. That That's just killer right there. We also got some good news this weekend. We got a commitment from wide receiver Tyree Saunders, Jacksonville, Florida. He's currently the second highest rated recruit in the class at 779th nationally on the composite. And he's pretty talented. I, I got a chance to take a look at his tape, and the coaches seem excited. I, I liked what I saw. I, I'm still a bit alarmed by the fact that our second highest recruit is almost 800th in the country and that his only other P5 offers were Kansas State and Iowa State, uh, teams that historically recruit like bottom five worst in Power 5 every season. So that's a, a little alarming, but I don't want to dump on Saunders because, like I said, he's one of the better guys in the class right now, well, at least according to the systems out there. Yeah, I, listen, we got another Hokie in there. Um, I've I've had about enough. We're in season to uh, to go back to recruiting stuff. Uh, is not really of interest to me. Maybe it is to some. For me, it's another Hokie. I liked what I saw, and uh, I do like we're starting to bring in um, some of these Jacksonville guys and starting to have a little bit of pipeline out of there. Um, as well, that's uh, that's building on itself. So, um, you know, congrats to him and, and and welcome into the program and excited. Yeah, certainly good news. Last news note I had was our pick'em had its first week. Five people tied at the top in the in week one with eleven correct picks out of fifteen. Pretty impressive to go eleven and four. They were Brent Turner, Graham Evans, Michael Damobile. Sam B and Sam Jesse, congrats guys on the great week one picks. Robbie and I both got seven correct, so we could have been a little bit better, just under 50% there, but we were right in the middle of the pack. I think we were 40 out of what we have like 80 some people in the pool, so we're right in the middle there, but we could have done better. 11 out of 15 will make you some really good money in Vegas, so I hope those people uh, are opening up their overseas sportsbook accounts. Yeah, well... Maybe not so fast. You know, that regression will get after you. <laughs> I got, Oh, believe me, I, I regressed this past weekend. Yeah. If it wasn't for uh, the, the Patriots destroying people, then it would have been uh, a bad weekend for me uh, in uh, in my own sports book. So believe me, I, I hear you. It was not a good Saturday. It was a better Sunday. Let's get into the game recap. Tech took the opening kickoff, and we proceeded to go right down the field. Three minutes and 30 seconds. 10 plays, 77-yard drive, cap with a four-yard TD. It was a run by King. When It was nice to see him getting active early. We'll get into that in a little bit. ODU responded with a drive of their own, scoring a field goal after almost seven minutes with the ball. We fired right back another three-minute and 30-second drive exactly and kicked a field goal to make it 10-3 to right at the end of the first quarter. We added a TD in the second quarter. The acrobatic bobbling catch by Grimsley was pretty cool. We led 17-3 at the half. In the third quarter, we had a 12-play, 93-yard drive that went for 5 minutes and 21 seconds, culminated in the one-yard run by Willis. But on that drive, we had the nice long pass to Turner, and McLeese had a few really nice plays that kept the drive alive. 
ODU then scored two straight TDs to cut the lead to seven at 24 to 17. We needed something to turn the momentum, and that's when we got the long kick returned by Wheatley. He brought it all the way down to the ODU 17, and we punched it in three plays later on the slant to Patterson. Or I guess it was more like a fade to Patterson, something like that. And then it was 31-17, 11.50 left to go in the game. We fumbled twice. We turned them over on downs twice, and that's how it ended 31-17. to Tech did win by two touchdowns, which is nice, but I think we are left wanting just a little bit more. I would say that uh, this game was up and down. As soon as that drive took seven minutes for ODU, for me, the... the <laughs> the the spread just went out the window the 28 and a half as soon as i saw that you know they the commentators started talking about how odu was planning to and wanted to play the game a little bit slower and you know give themselves a, a fighter's chance in it and as soon as i saw that i was like man this is this is tough for anybody that has the over including me and so that went out the window <laughs> that that was money lost uh the 98 yard drive i felt really really good about that that was pretty amazing the catch from uh, Grimsley, I jumped out of my chair. I was just, and that was just unbelievable. And then, um, you know, we get to the second half and it was tough. I, I was sweating. I never felt like the game was out of hand, but what I've said, I was comfortable when they cut it to seven. No, I was certainly not comfortable. Um, there was a lot more made on the broadcast than I think there actually was. The two fumbles... Uh, we're, we're not, we're not great. They were disastrous. One of them we'll talk about a little bit more in detail when we get into turnover problems, but overall it was, um, not the most stress-free game that I've ever watched in my entire life. I never felt that it was going to get, I felt like there was a chance, but it was small that it was going to turn the other direction. Um, but I would have been feeling a lot better if it played out the way that maybe some of us thought it would. There was a moment when I got... Uh, a little nervous because I would agree that once we scored on the first drive and took the 10 to three lead again, I was like, all right, they seem, they seem like they're going to take control of this game. And it felt pretty comfortable once you're up, what was it? 24 to three at one point. And, um, but when they got it within one score, I definitely was getting nervous and it was taking a little while for us to, to score again. And that, that run back by Wheatley really, was super important. Like it really, really was without it. Who knows how this game turns out? Like the momentum really needed to swing there. So that, that was great that one he's back there and healthy. Uh, I wish he had just a little bit more pop of speed there at the end. Cause it felt like he could get all the way through. And I think Fuente even like kind of joked around, like he ran out of gas, Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, we, we, he got us in a good position and then we punched it in. So uh, yeah, happy we won for sure. We needed to at least get the payback with the win. Uh, I think the story of the game, it's not the most exciting story. I was kind of trying to hard to figure it out whether you could use the kick return, but overall I'd say it was third down for both teams. Uh, we stepped up when we needed to. ODU was only 4 of 15 on third down, and we extended our drives on offense when we needed to. We were 8 of 13. And most of those third downs that we converted were pretty long. Long third downs. And um, it'll come back to one of you know my keys of the game, but also it'll, it'll come back in when we do Furman and what I think is going to happen there or what needs to happen there is 
that's just that's just not a safe position to be. It was amazing, and you know, I think there were comments that you know it just seemed automatic for them to complete those third downs when it was, you know, third and eight or whatever, even even third and beyond ten, and you felt like the team could could convert every time. That is not going to happen every game, you know. I, I'm glad it did, but uh, it it definitely third down was uh, to your point the real key to the game and us converting on it and holding, holding ODU on those plays. I wanted to start with the defense Uh, instead of doing just positive and negative, we'll kind of just bounce from defense to offense to special teams and then to Furman. I thought the defense looked better overall than a week ago. They still had some rough spots, but we saw more blitzes. We got in the backfield, more nine tackles for loss, five sacks, only 324 yards given up. 4.4 yards per play, which is very good. Uh, But there were a lot of missed tackles. So there was a lot of nice, I said there, but the missed tackles were pretty blatantly clear. I think after the game, it got brought up on Tech Talk Live and uh, almost every article I read, it it was mentioned. Yeah, you know, Ashby goes out there, he has another 10 tackles. His stats, I think this year are going to be pretty ridiculous uh, overall. But, you know, the story for the defense was, there weren't too many massive breakdowns, um, but it was short, painful stuff that you know we were not converting on as much, and they just did not have a problem. We were in the backfield, um, you know, people just missing really, really obvious tackles. I think it's been brought up by a bunch of people of players, whether it was uh, you know Diablo or others, just you know leaving their feet. Right, which is never a good thing. I mean, the easiest um, way for a guy to shake you is if you're off your feet, then you know it's easier to get around. You know, you want to stay square. And a lot of those tackles, I think, you know, Dax had a really rough game. He's playing with so much energy, almost to the point of maybe too much energy, where you know, overcommitting and a little bit too much, and maybe could stay a little bit not on his heels, that's not a good thing, but stay more square, stay more centered and 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 really make some tackles. Um, they made players miss in a, in a lot of instances and a number of those extended drives that shouldn't have have gone for, for extra yardage. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on Dax just to finish that point. Not a great game. Uh, eight tackles still, and, and he did make some good plays, but definitely... It's kind of going backwards a few too many times and just, I don't know. I, he's he's still playing out of position, you know, and that's the unfortunate thing for Dax is that he gets to Tech after the four years of recruitment that Bud put in for him. And we've got Ashby in the middle who's like so freaking good that he can't really play his natural position. And so he slimmed down and he's, he's busting his tail. And so... He'll learn from this, yeah. and he'll keep, continue to get better at backer. Yeah, and I don't want to. It's not being harsh on him. I I think he'll figure it out. It's just it's taken him a little bit longer than we would have expected, and he's just uh, he's got to be more natural with it. I think, mm-hmm. um, and and understand it, it. Yeah, and I think he'll get there. I also thought the secondary played pretty well. Uh, definitely an improved performance from what we saw. Against Boston College, they only gave up 122 yards in the air. Only one pass that went more than 20 yards. Uh, Waller had seven tackles and probably was the best tackler out there, maybe. Yep. Like, I didn't see him screw up too, too much. He had the nice sack. 
Uh, and just and Bud complimented him too after the game, saying like he was the most consistent throughout the entire off season. And so in BC when he got beat, that was very uncharacteristic, and he wouldn't have expected that from Waller. So it's nice to see him play like Bud expected him to play, and we're gonna need that. It's we we needed another good corner on this team. And I also saw that Griffin, the converted linebacker to defensive lineman, had a sack, and Chamari Connor also added a sack. Uh, five sacks is pretty good. It's when you if you go on just average sacks per game, we're thirty third in the country right now, but just based on the five we had against ODU and the one we had against Boston College. Yeah, I mean, letting ODU and I know some of this was situation specific. Go three for five on fourth down. That's you know we got to tighten that up a, a little bit. Lala Davis still put up, I mean, these aren't like crazy stats. They're not going to, you know, make a highlight reel, but 81 yards on 11 rushes, 7.4 an attempt. And then Keyshawn Strong had 6.4 an attempt. We'd be taking those numbers right now. I mean, (laughs) so um, I know that's um, not crazy numbers, but I I mean, that's, that's more than we want out there. So uh, I would agree. Early on in the run game for them, I thought, they were running really well yeah. and some really creative looking stuff. Uh, and you're absolutely right. We would, we would take those plays and those numbers on, on our offense right now in terms of what we need from the defense. Still, I'd say other than the tackling, obviously we need more of a pass rush threat. I mean, the blitzing is nice, but you can't always like throw your corners in on a blitz. You know, you need to get more from your front four, from your defensive ends. So that's something we definitely need more of. Uh, I thought Diablo played pretty well again. I'm just going through my last little notes I had here. Um, yeah. Overall, from the defense, did you have like an overall thought? No, I I think that um, you know we'll, we'll we'll harp back on the tackling. We'll harp, harp back on there was more pressure in this game by far than we saw against BC. I mean, statistically, whatever you want to look at it, there was. Um, I think that we came in with serious concerns about defensive line. Um, and I think those are not alleviated, but I feel better about it than I was expecting. I thought I was going to have my hands, you know, or my, my face in my hands pretty often. And it hasn't been nearly as, I don't want to say nearly as bad. It's not the right way to put it, but I think it's been more effective than I expected given what we were putting out there and the lack of depth in some of the positions on the line. So I, I give those guys some pretty much a lot of credit, and I think they're going to continue to develop pretty well over the course of the season. I'll say I'm very glad they converted Griffin to defensive line because I thought he played pretty good. And just based on the fact that we lost Garbit on the first series of the season, yep. uh, and he'll, he'll be back, but he hasn't played basically since the first series of the season – it's a nice bonus to have Griffin to be able to step in there and play. I'd say overall we need more effort and more consistent energy on every play from the defense. That's I think that's what happens with the younger defensive guys is that they don't know how to consistently bring their maximum effort every single play. And there's just a, there's a little bit of a malaise sometimes with the defense. And I, and they they were better. Um, but I, I, and that would go for the whole team too, is that there's just a little bit of something and I'll touch more on it at the end that 
that's missing, I guess. But yeah, a, a good a good solid performance from the defense against an opponent that they absolutely should have this type of performance. Yeah, and I think there's it's weird when you articulate it the way the, the Malays. I, I think it's a healthy paranoia that you need to have on the defense, right? All the time is, you know, the the one time, and I think Bud does harp on this, and he says he's talked about it, and I think players have come out in the press conference and say, like, the one time you're just a little bit not thinking about what could go wrong is the time that things get really, really bad. Like, you don't have to be 100% on every play, just, you know, wiping yourself out. But you always just got to be making sure that you're checking, you know, what are the what are the two or three bad things that could really happen here? Let me cover off on that and, you know, and and use your energy wisely during the game. So I, I think I, I agree with you. And I think as you get more reps and get smarter and when everybody's talking about, you know, not letting their head tie up their feet, I think it's it just becomes second nature. It's like, you know, drawing you know, your signature. You just kind of know what it is. You're, you're already knowing what those problems could be that could, you know, cause a problem. And then all of a sudden it's a, you know, it's a fourth and 12 and then it convert and it's your fault. And it's like, you cannot let that happen. Like, you know what I mean? And then, it, it, but when you're younger, it's, you're so caught up on what you're doing at the time. You're not thinking about the bigger picture, but I think that, I think they're developing. That's a good point. Let's take a beer break before we switch over to the offense. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I'm drinking The Source. It's an IPA. I promise my second beer is not an IPA, but I'll get to a reason for that uh, here in a second. Uh, It's Licking Hole Creek. It is uh, with blueberries and lactose, a 7.5% beer. It's pretty good. It's not much blueberry flavor that I'm getting from it, um, but it's a it's a pretty good IPA, and and I like it. I like Licking Hole Creek. I, most of the beers that they put out, I'm not really sure what they were going for for this one. It, it's not really as I was figuring I'd go crazy and have a more fruity uh, beer, but it's uh, it's kind of a more straight and narrow IPA. But it is it is very good. I would suggest picking it up and and having it. I would probably get it a couple more times. Yeah, that sounds good on paper. I, uh, I, I was wondering if it was like sweet because of the lactose in there. There is a little bit of sweetness to it. Um, which Uh, maybe that's cutting into some of the kind of blueberry tartness, uh, of the beer. And maybe the lactose is taking over for that. I am drinking the Oktoberfest from Sly Fox Brewing Company. It's got, the reason I bought this beer is because it's got a maroon and orange can. For me, that's always going to be a high seller. If you have a maroon <laughs> and orange can, I'm probably going to buy it. Uh, the beer itself is okay. I do like Sly Fox. I think they make a lot of good beers. I am what I would consider to be an Oktoberfest connoisseur. <laughs> I've had many on this podcast alone, in addition to uh, many beyond that. I like the traditional German ones more so than a lot of the American ones, but that's not... To anything too out of the ordinary. Um, and this one is okay, but I, I wouldn't necessarily, uh, this is not a sixer. This is more of a buy one or have one at the bar. This is probably a have one. If I, w- I'll put it, if I went to like a cookout and they had this, I would probably have one of these, have enjoyed it. And then I would have switched to a different beer. All right, let's get to the offense. 
it was, again, better than a week ago, which that's always good, right? Willis was better. And I guess, do you want to start with the quarterback? And then we'll kind of go down from there. Yeah, let's roll through that way. All right. He had 272 yards, two TDs in the air, and another rushing. And most importantly, zero interceptions. 9.7 yards per attempt is quite good, actually. And he had 162 passer rating. On the downside, he fumbled. And he nearly threw a pick six in the second quarter, and he almost got Trey Turner killed on a on like a little out pass, or I guess it was like kind of like a wide receiver screen type situation. Yep. Um, that, that those were the bad things, but overall, he threw some really nice balls. We saw some slants and some passes over the middle uh, in traffic, which I thought was something that we're not used to seeing him throw proficiently. So that was cool. And he still extended drives with his legs, was our best rusher at 4.3 yards per carry. One of those passes, and I'm going to mess this up, but was, I thought it was an interception because he threaded the needle so closely at the first down line to, was it Patterson that, and all of a sudden. I I think so. And all of a sudden I saw, you know, two defenders converging on him and then outruns Patterson with the ball in one of the thin, like, Thread the needle passes that I've seen in a long time was incredible. Grimsley, the pass was, you know, I know that Grimsley was the reason that he came up with it, but it was put in the right place. Nobody else could have got it except for him. Uh, The Patterson fade route uh, to the left-hand side on the touchdown pass was beautiful. There was another, uh, I think, long Turner pass that was really nice, kind of over the shoulder to the outside, and then more stuff uh, down the middle. Plus, Robinson dropped one when he was uh, starting to look downfield. Plus, there was another dropped one. I can't remember who that was, where somebody was hearing footsteps. That probably would have been another first down. And that was about eight yards short short of the marker. But there was plenty of space between the you know them and and the defensive back. So overall, no interceptions. I thought most of the throws were good. The one Turner overthrow was a either miscommunication or they just weren't on the same page. I, I don't know if it was as much his pass or Turner or whoever it was. Um, and then the one fumble that he had, you know, some people thought that that was targeting. There's a, there's a pretty decent headshot that he takes on that play, which was also his own fault. And Fuente <laughs> yeah. made that pretty clear that he should have gone down because he was three yards past the chains, I think on, on that to, to get the first down. But, um, Settle down a bit there. He's, he's sitting in the pocket really well. I don't know if you've noticed that this season. I mean, he doesn't have a ton of room to operate in there. Sometimes, you know, it looks like he has a foot on all around him to, but that's, you know, he's sat in there and he's, he's made some throws and that's probably the one thing that, um, I don't think most people have talked about this year, but He's not scrambling outside nearly as much. I have the statistics to show it. He's he's staying in the pocket. He's not just trying to get to the outside to you know give himself a breath of fresh air. That's probably also due to the offensive line. But he's showing more comfort in the pocket. Now he needs to show more comfort with his throws. Yeah, I feel like the O-line's not getting a push in the run game. But in pass protection, they've been good for the most part. And Willis... Uh, also isn't getting the happy feet, like you say, and and running around. Yes, I agree with both of those points. Now, let's go back to the offensive line and the run game. I did note that 
Willis was our leading rusher, which that's not usually a great thing when your quarterback's your leading rusher and has to be out of necessity. And the O-line and the running backs just are not getting it done in the run game right now. And I'm not sure who's to blame. It's probably, probably more of the offensive linemen and the coaching and execution of the scheme. And I, if you follow me on Twitter, you saw me railing on the run scheme this week because it stinks. <laughs> and it's 115th in the country in terms of yards per carry. It's 102nd over the last three years in terms of yards per carry. Uh, the only reason we had a run game in 2016 was because Gerard Evans abused his body and decided in the Clemson game he was going to run it six straight times and kept us in that game single-handedly, and he did that all season long. This run game needs help. And I don't know if the help is in the form of older offensive linemen down the road, guys who are in the scheme and play better. Because at the end of last season, we did see an improvement in the yards per rush in the offensive line. So will that happen with this offensive line? I hope so. But right now against ODU, you average, what do we average? 3.4 yards per carry as a team and only 131 yards on the ground in a game where we're up by three and two scores for most of the time. That's, you cannot have that. That is, that's not going to win you a lot of ball games. And in the ACC, I don't know how we're going to run for three yards a carry, let alone four. Like it is, it's, it's bad right now. And yes, they have the youth excuse. We're, we've had two starters go down in the first game and we're, we're in trouble, but there, there's got to be something we can do to make it better than it currently is. You can say a lot of things about this team, and you can take either side of it, but I don't think anybody can really say that there isn't a problem with the run game. I mean, there's just statistically, when you look at it, some of the plays look decent. I My thing is I keep coming back to is it looks like some of the plays are almost just throwaways, and they're just whether it's used to try and set up the pass and just let people know that we can still run it. It doesn't look in sometimes it, maybe it's just breakdowns or it's the offensive line or it's the running back completely missing and and not reading what they're supposed to be doing right or where the hole is. But there are some plays that just, they just look like throwaways. Like that's just was not intended to get yardage is, and I watch it start to transpire and I'm like, this isn't going anywhere. There's not, not a chance in yep. hell. Um, and you, you can't do that, right? Like you want to be a team that's always going for smart yardage uh, and not just having plays that are, are unless you really see an angle for a deep ball or an intermediary pass that could go you know deep and you're going to use a run just to set that up, you can't do that all the time. You, you got to be running for yardage. And a, there's a lot of plays that it doesn't look like we're running for serious yardage. We're just you know, running to show that, you know, we're, we have two sides of the offense, not just one. Um, so it's, it's really frustrating. I won't ever claim to be smart enough to diagnose where the problems are. I think there, McLeese had some really good runs. I will say that King is showing some more shiftiness and starting to show that, um, not necessarily power, but he, he has pretty good vision and he can get to open spots, but it has a long, long way to go. Yeah, well, now that you mentioned King, we should just talk about the fact that he was the leading rusher when Fuentes decided to not give him the ball anymore. 
He was over four yards of carry. They do one of their stupid plays that is super poorly blocked. A big fat boy comes right through the line, absolutely punishes our 187-pound running back into the turf, rolling up on his ankles. Like, we're lucky that King wasn't hurt on the play, quite honestly, because he got absolutely destroyed. Ball pops loose. Down by contact, not ruled a fumble. Play goes on, right? We all saw it. That was what warranted Fuente benching him. Someone told me that he had apparently not come up with the ball a couple times at BC. I didn't remember seeing that. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But the fact of the matter is, King, our most talented running back, by far the best running back, it's so clear after just two games, makes a play where he's left hanging out to dry, gets absolutely killed. The context of the tackle matters. He doesn't come up with the ball, as Fuente put it, and so he got benched for the rest of the game. Benched in the sense he wasn't given any more carries and came back in a little bit later to block or something. But he wasn't given another touch on the football, which just hurts the team. It was a poor coaching decision that is just a super head scratcher for me and a head scratcher for almost any anyone that's talked about that portion of the game. Anyone who wrote an article about it, anyone who's talked to me about it, they're like, I really don't get why he got benched for that because it wasn't even a turnover. If you're not going to sit Tavion Robinson for dropping a wide open pass that resulted in a turnover because we had to punt on the next play, then why are you benching Keyshawn King? It's it's mind boggling to me. And the fact that Fuente doubled down on it the next day in the presser was even worse. I I just I am I do you think that I'm overreacting to this? I I'm in the minority here in a little in a first of all, I agree with almost all you said. And if you want some inside baseball, we we all collectively try and text message each other and make sure we're all, you know, not thinking about things the the wrong way. And uh, I was, I'm, I'm the odd man out, I guess, in, in this respect. Here's how I work it backwards. One, what Fuente said during the presser was stupid. It was absolutely, it was a, a dumb comment, right? Take that comment out of it. And I think we would look at the situation a little bit differently. And if I was Fuente, I may have pulled King out of that game but if it was for no more reason than I don't want him to get hurt at that point, right? He is my leading running back. He is, you know, he's he just got steamrolled by a dude that probably outweighs him by 60 pounds or whatever the case may be. I don't want him to fumble because I don't want him to start getting in his own head because I have a limiting, limited running back core. I, you know, I, I don't want, even if it's not his fault, a mistake to happen because, you know, I want him to keep progressing the way that he has been. And he is. So if, if you take the comment out, which was, again, dumb and shouldn't have been said, and it was even if it was said, there's no way that that's exactly what was going on in Fuente's mind. Otherwise, he's insane if that's what it was. I, I was worried about him just turning over the football is not what you say at all about a your running back who's, you know, showed so much potential and has performed and really hasn't well. fumbled the ball yet yeah, and hasn't fumbled <laughs> the ball yet. So couldn't agree more. I, if you took that out, then it might be more understandable. The fact that he said it and did it and took him out, that makes it, I agree with you, really, really bad. I think that the intentions might not have been as um, as, as much to, to hurt the team or hurt King as it was to actually help King and, and help the team. But, you know, I'm just saying that there's there's a couple different ways to look at it. All that went out the window once Fuente made his comments the next day in the presser. 
Yeah, he never says anything, and then he says that, and that you know he needs to come up with the ball, and it's it just didn't make any sense, especially when you consider the double standard he has with the way Willis has been turning the ball over, and people make Grimsley fumbled and has never missed a snap. You know, it's I I know he always has been this way about the running backs. Trayvon McMillan got in trouble with this right a few years back, yep. but it's just dumb. Trayvon McMillan was one of our best players, and he and he ran him away. And guess what he did when he got to Colorado? He ran for 1,000 yards. Guess what he did before Fuente was at Tech? He ran for 1,000 yards. <laughs> to me, Fuente might have an issue with this this non-fumbling, benching, whatever bullshit that's going on because that hurt the team because he's our best runner. And I know if you want to say, hey, I held him out because he got hurt, we could have bought that even if it wasn't true. And, and that's what he probably should have said. Yes. But he didn't say that. He didn't. And he's got a double standard going on with the turnovers. And his run scheme sucks because the way he wants his offense to be run, the quarterback has to put himself up for so much punishment. I mean, we've seen Willis, you said just a second ago, he took a shot on that play. He's woozy as crap. He fumbled the ball because he's laying on top of the guy the way it went down. That was kind of weird and not completely his fault. And he might have been slightly dazed once he got, he took the head shot and then went to the ground. But that's what happens in this offense is because there's so many read plays. There's so many times when the quarterback has to run. And the fact is our offense isn't that great. So then Willis has to extend plays with his legs anyway and go for first downs. That's what we love about him. And it sucks because the quarterback's going to get hurt. It happened to Josh Jackson. It happened to Gerard Evans. Motley had to come in in the pit game and finish the game. It, it's happened every year. Jackson was banged up in 17-2 and didn't play well against Georgia Tech. We had A.G. Bush in the game. So the whole thing comes back around to this run scheme sucks, and Fuente is blaming everyone but himself and Cornelson, which is the problem with the run game. It's And, and they, he did say, where do you need to get better? He said everywhere. That's great. But he's yelling at Willis you know, to get down on the ground. Well, you need Willis to run or we're never going to get a freaking first down. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, I, we're on the, we're I on just, the positive that, side. So yeah. I, Sorry, I we'll could stop. not, yeah. could not agree with that more. And I think that ties back. We'll finish the thought. Well, it ties back to the fact that there are plays that we have that are almost look like they're not intended to get yardage. And what that ends up doing is it forces Willis to have to get yardage when he doesn't, He's, he's not going to be able to see the field the way that we want him to, like on every play. Like that's just, maybe it'll develop over the course of the year. So what ends up happening is we get third, we need yards, and then Willis has to throw his body on the line. And that's because we wasted a second down on a play that really had no chance of developing anything close to getting, getting you know, a first down. And then we end up in, you know, third and long or third and manageable, third and four. And then Willis has to... He doesn't see it and he can't risk because Fuente will go crazy. He can't risk a, a turnover with a with a bad pass. So he throws his body on the line and here we are. I mean, that's it all kind of it all coalesces into a story that you can kind of see on the field in tough situations for your players because there's no right decision. Yeah, and I apologize for the rant to the listeners. But that was the first time really in Fuente's tenure that he did something in-game and then doubled down on it after the game, that really was like a red flag to me. Mm -hmm. That was just like, what? What? I don't get this. I really can't understand this in any way you want to do it because King didn't turn the ball over. Yep. 
The receivers were awesome in this game. Yep. I will say that. Four guys went over 40 yards. You talked about some of the plays. Nice distribution in general, and that's exactly what the guys want out of the offense. They want it going all over the field. Uh, the TD for Grimsley, the TD for Patterson. Uh, other than the drop by Tavion, he has been awesome. Yep. And he's leading our team in catches right now. He has 10 catches uh, through two games as a true freshman. He is going to be so good. Uh, he's already so good. And then Grimsley's averaging 23.83 yards on his six receptions so far. Yeah. So it's and Patterson's it's amazing being what sneaky, they're doing. Really good. I mean, he's not. He's hasn't been. He's just been consistent. He's not every play. There's a couple times I have to go through all the stats. There's a couple times that he's getting multiple passes in a row and he's the guy. But otherwise, he's. I mean, he's putting up a really good season as well so far. And then that, that's not to mention, you know, Trey and, and there's just a there's just a lot of talent on in this wide receiving core that's really performing and. Robinson has done nothing but elevate that a lot. Um, and then, you know, that's even before you get to what we could be doing and maybe we will be doing more, which is bringing in the tight ends. Uh, that That is another, I don't think Keen caught a pass during this last game. I think Mitchell may have caught a pass and, you know, there's, I think there's, yeah, there's a Mitchell lot. Mitchell had a catch. Yeah. Yes. I think. So, I don't know. <laughs> I got to take another look at the stat sheet. But <laughs> yeah, I would say Keen has not had Maybe the start to the season that we all expected. However, with Mitchell, we knew that he was going to be a little less involved in the pass game. And the things that Keen does really well are some of more of the dirty work that you don't always notice as much. No, that's exactly right. I think um, I think people have noted that you know he's been you know blocking better and, and things like that. So um, definitely uh, a positive on those guys, and a lot more that I think we'll see through the season. The last thing I had on the offense was just that uh, we had the two turnovers, and we, we've already kind of gone over that. And uh, no, no, Keyshawn King was not responsible for either one of them. Uh, it, one came late from McLeese, and the other one was obviously from Willis, who now has five turnovers on the year, although um, trending in the right direction. We're trying to eliminate those puppies. No interceptions, just the one fumble on kind of a very strange uh, sequence of tackling and then going to the ground. The special teams, I, I thought uh, we missed the one field goal, which stunk, uh, but it was long. And then Wheatley had the great return, and I want to see more of that. That that could be a real asset for us, especially with the, the deficiencies we have at some of the you know on the offense and the defense. If the special teams can step up, uh, we we really could use it. I mean, Wheatley's average for his career as a kick returner is almost twenty nine yards per kick return. Th- that's that's amazing. Yeah. And he, he has 16, I think, returns in his career. But at 29 yards per return, he's got three that went over 50. That is that is really, really good. I got those stats from Andy Bitter's article. I want to give him credit. So let's do our overall thoughts real quick before we move to Furman. For me, once again, I'm trying not to overreact to just the first two games of the season. And I already have done that in my own personal space (laughs) and on Twitter, perhaps a little bit. I just want a little bit more. I wanted a little bit more. I wanted to punish ODU a little bit more. I just wanted the team to play with a little bit more fire based on the fact that this team really embarrassed us last year. And I know that you were on the other side of that. You, You said like, let's go out there, play good football, win the game. 
And they did that for the most part. There was mistakes, but they improved upon the Boston College and they went out there and they won the game. But I still can't help but feel it was a little bit of a disappointing performance. Yeah, I think the ODU team, um, they came in with a lot of fire and energy. I know a lot of those players, you know, not a lot of a good amount of those players are gone out of the program now. And other people are just living off of the fact that they beat Virginia Tech. They came in not really scared and, uh, you know, thinking that even if it was a home game that they could give Virginia Tech a run for their money. I think they had a good game plan on how they were going to try and keep it close and give themselves a chance to win, which uh, is a great a great way of going about a game like that is slow down the pace of play, you know, be methodical. And that's, that's what they did for our team. Um, I think there was some improvement. I'm, I'm starting, you know, BC had another good game, you know, this week that, that might be a pretty good team this year. Their quarterback is starting to look good. I'm trying to take it within the, the understanding that it's two data points that we have. Um, and, I would have liked to see what what you wanted, which was more fire going in, kind of just stomping them to the ground. I also give a little bit of credit to the coaching staff in not making the game about that. Because if you press too hard, because you know you can find yourself in a tough spot. If you go out there and it's, hey, look what these guys did to you last year. What are you going to do back to them? You, you know, sometimes it's about just the X's and O's and less about the emotion. And I think we may went out there and maybe it's, it's a testament to some of the coaching staff that just told their players, go out and play your position, play what you're you're supposed to do. Don't make this about last year, make it about this year. It seemed like a make it about this year type win and not make it about last year. Now, if we had a lot more talent and experience and, you know, better coaching, whatever the case may be, maybe it could have been one of those where you just go out and, and put up a, a big number on a team and hold them to nothing. Um, so it cuts both ways for me. I, I, I don't know how to feel. Yeah. And I, I think you're right because it didn't look like the way they were playing the, their body language, not really getting in too many guys faces and that kind of thing. It did seem like we didn't know this team. Like they were, you know, anonymous team from conference USA or the Mac that that's what it seemed like. And I hope that the performance was simply we played a little tight because it was ODU and this is a get over the hump type game. Uh, nevertheless, it, it makes me a little bit nervous that we couldn't take a team that had lost so much from the previous year and was a four and eight team from that year. And we couldn't really put them in their place. And that was kind of what the reason we were disappointed in BC too, because we expected BC to be down a notch because they lost a lot to the NFL. Maybe that won't be the case for BC. Maybe ODU will be a competitor in their division in Conference USA. That all remains to be seen. I'm trying not to overreact, but without and that that fire I was talking about, that that mojo, it just seems a little lackluster right now with the team and maybe it's because they're, they lost the first game and that kind of made them a little down and they're young. But, uh, I just, I, I need the team just to exude a little bit more juice. If you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, not to look too far ahead, but there's not too many games that we are going to get that juice from other than this one. Like if you were going to come out and be able to, you know, really show some, some swagger and everything. It was probably this game. It's going to be hard to do against Furman. I mean, that's not really that big of a 
Cutcliffe teams are very difficult to get energy up against because, first of all, he's a really nice guy. Everybody loves him. His teams are usually very well coached. They're very respectable on the field. You know, there's not a lot of chippiness involved in that game. So yeah. you, get, you don't really get excited for the Duke game every yeah, year. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. And then and then you got to walk into what Miami after that. I, I guess it is or oh no, Red Island, and that's going to be even harder to to you know do that. And then you know I think, no, I think Miami is before Rhode okay, Island. Okay, so then Miami, and that might be a little chippier of a game. So um, you know, and listen, we know what Miami is such so far this year, but they always play us hard, and it's going to be a home game for them. So. We don't have too many opportunities to go out there and and really kind of throw our our weight around and our swagger until you know we get to Miami and that's going to be a game that we probably do every year. But um, you know you'd like to get your practice against somebody that you have <laughs> you have uh, past experience with and uh, right. a little bit of hatred right. for, given what they did to you last year. What we've seen in the first two games hasn't been overly impressive and. It makes me nervous for what is a very competitive Furman team coming in. And let's move to Furman now. We'll do a little bit on them before we take our next beer break. They were 6-4 and four last year, but they did tie for first in their conference. They're coached by Clay Hendricks. He's in his third year as the head coach at Furman. He was at Air Force for a decade before that, but he played at Furman. And he coached there from 88 to 07. Yes, he's a little bit more up there in years. He's, he's 56 years old. He took Furman to the FCS playoffs in 2017 in his first year, and they got to the second round before losing. So they've already had some some success under him. You know, playoffs in this first season, they tied for the conference lead in the second season. They're currently 1-1 one and, one and number 13 in the FCS coaches poll. In Sagarin, they're 123rd, which is 19 spots ahead of where ODU is. <laughs> yeah, that's not a that's not a great, uh, great stat. <laughs> yeah. But... Um... No, I mean, he's done a pretty good job with the program that's a little bit off of the radar. They just lost to Georgia State Panthers 48-42. You may know Georgia State Panthers from the team that beat uh, the Volunteers, Tennessee Volunteers, uh, an SEC school. So um, they were up pretty handily in that game. Georgia State came back, uh, ended up winning it. But um, Furman is a is a is a good team. It's a respectable team, and at least statistically, they are uh, better at the present than ODU. We'll see how that plays out over the season. They have seven All Conference first and second team guys coming back this year. That was two offensive linemen, two linebackers, a running back, a wide receiver, and their kicker was also All Conference. They kind of run a hybrid offense based in the triple option but with a bunch of spread concepts mixed in. They're scoring 44 points per game, so whatever they're doing is working. And it sounded like from the press conferences that both Fuente and Bud were fairly concerned with what they'd seen on film offensively from Furman. They run it about 40 times a game uh, in their first two games. and it, Again, small sample size, but they've run it about 40 times a game, and they've passed it about 20, 22 times a game. So it's... Uh, it's an interesting attack, and they've got this freshman quarterback that's kind of lighting it up. Yeah, Granger is, I mean, he went 16 for 25, 311 yards, four TDs, no interceptions in that game. Uh, he had no interceptions in his first game either, so he's been protecting the football um, pretty well. They run a relatively 
balanced attack, obviously, like you said, a little heavier to, to one side, but he hasn't shown the propensity to make a lot of mistakes thus far. Yeah. And he, he is a red shirt freshman, but nevertheless, he's a freshman, 6'4, 195. And Bud, like I said, he seems like he was impressed by what he had seen from from Granger. They also got a bunch of running backs led by Devin Wynn. He's averaging more than nine yards per attempt on his 20 carries so far. Two touchdowns for him and a bunch of other guys. As a team, they're averaging 7.2 yards per carry. Uh, we would kill for that. Now, we haven't played Charleston Southern and Georgia State, but like, I don't know, Georgia State could be better than ODU. <laughs> they probably are. Um, they beat Tennessee. So this is a good offense. This is a very good offense. And wide receiver Tom Gordon, 16.6 yards a catch, almost six and a, what was it? 13 catches through two games. So six and a half catches per game so far. Went for 163 versus Georgia State. So this... There's some guys on this offense. Yeah, and I couldn't speak to Charleston Southern's defense. Um, you know, I could probably talk to a lot of other things better. I, I don't know that much about it, but they had three guys that ran for 86 yards or more in that game. Um, you know, that, that running attack, um, I think they're going to try and, you know, to use that dual threat ability to, to really mix it up for, for this defense. And that's... That's going to be tough. It's going to be a, it's, I don't know if it's going to be a tough out as much as it is going to be a unique look that we're going to see. And it's probably not too different than what we ended up seeing with Boston college with, you know, being so afraid of AJ Dillon and that running, but then, um, you know, Brown came out and threw the ball really well. And then all of a sudden we had a, a little bit of a two headed monster that we had to start to deal with. Yeah, and that's the thing about Granger is that he is a dual threat. He has 78 yards rushing. Not not crazy for two games, but almost 40 yards a game and two TDs on the ground. So that's been historically – it's tough for every school to defend a good running quarterback. But with how good Bud has been in his tenure at Tech, the one thing that's always given him problems is a quarterback that can do both well. And I, I'm afraid that Granger is one of those guys. Defensively, they surrendered just 13 points to Charleston Southern, 48 to Georgia State, and they're giving up 195 per game on the ground. So we should, and I repeat, should be able to run the football on Furman. If we can't, there's there's an even bigger problem than we've already harped on. The quarterback of Georgia State, he passed and ran all over them. He had 448 total yards, like almost 500 yards from QB Dan Ellington from GSU. So there's going to be opportunities for Willis to make some passes and make some runs. I'm excited about the prospects for the offense in this game. It's uh, despite the two all-conference linebackers that they have, this is a team we should move the ball on. But that offense, it's going to create problems for a team that has issues with tackling. Yeah, I don't think we can allow this to be, you know, low scoring for for our affair. I mean, Cornelius McCoy for um for Georgia Georgia State, he had 143 yards on 10 receptions. So it, at least there are pockets of these defensive backs that we can do some damage against with our wide receiving core, as long as Willis is throwing the ball where he should be. So, but this is not a game that I feel safe about. You know, keeping it. And low scoring is all relative, right? In a game against Furman is, you know, you want to get to 
40 to just feel comfortable about whatever's going to happen with their offense and, and kind of be able to make a day of it. And hopefully our defense shows well more than that and can kind of shut it down, but it'll be, it'll be a good test for him. And, um, and I think it'll, uh, it'll be interesting. It's definitely going to be a good test and it will be a good test for overcoming adversity because this, there's going to be multiple scores from Furman of that. I'm, virtually positive (laughs) multiple to even you know three or four scores from Furman and how the defense responds to that is going to tell us a lot because they had to do it a little bit against ODU and you know they got the nice return and that helped but there was some adversity Uh, you know the offense was kind of stalling out a bit and ODU was on a comeback and it could have gone the other way and it didn't so two times in a row we've kind of seen our defense struggle for a period and then stop the bleeding. Yeah. And so if that happens versus Furman, I hope that they can do it again because that 40 mark for our offense is I think you're right on. Like we need to get we need to get to up to that 40 mark to feel comfortable. Uh, I'm not saying that Furman's going to score 40, but they could. They're averaging it. <laughs> they scored 42 on a pretty decent Georgia State team, so I uh I don't feel great about this is this is one of those FCS teams you don't want to play. Like if you're scheduling an FCS game as an FBS team, you don't want to schedule one in the top 25. And especially not in the top 15 because you get no credit if you beat them and you get I mean just completely crapped on if you happen to lose or even play poorly. So this isn't an ideal situation and these things are scheduled somewhat far out and you'd have no idea how good the teams are going to be, but yeah, this isn't what you want, really. When you invite an FCS team to your house, you don't expect to maybe be in a dogfight, and we might be in a dogfight. Just look at what happened with JMU and WVU, and you know, right. that's you know, nobody was uh, WVU is struggling right now, but nobody was giving them any credit for beating a good, good JMU team that um, has been uh, has been getting better every year. So my five or six bullets on keys to the game. I don't know if you wanted to go that direction and and wrap things up. So I'd say on, I I would say establish the run, but, and this isn't like trying to be mean or anything. I've given up on that at this point, uh, like (laughs) until I see it. Right. It's just, uh, I'm, I don't want to sit around clamoring for something that I haven't really seen, you know, come to fruition yet. So we'll see. So I think a smart passing attack um, continuing to do better use on kind of intermediary routes, like kind of, you know, in, in the game against BC, 16 of our passes were kind of 10 to 19 yards. It shot up to about 31% uh, in ODU. And I think that showed on the field. And I think it also showed with the ball protection as well. Um, I, I like that. And I like creating space in, in, in that distance. Um, continuing to throw to players in stride in a smart way, not going crazy, um, our yards after catch against BC were 3.3 yards. That was 9.8 against ODU. And it was probably pretty off, obvious if you watched it, whether it was Grimsley going for extra yards and, you know, digging through the ground, hitting people in stride, um, long passes to people in stride. That is a nearly triple jump in the yards after catch that I think is really important. And the, you know, thinking back to the BC game, how many passes where it was just like caught great, 
tackled to the ground. <laughs> you know, one one yard loss after after catch or like diving for the catch and then being down immediately. Yes, and you saw you're right in in the ODU game. We saw even the flare outs to the side to the running backs to to Trey Turner in the flat and make moves and get some extra yardage. So, yeah, we need that. And if I could do one real quick, mm-hmm. it would it would be the tackling. Like you have to wrap up. This is a triple option team. You must wrap up. Uh, if 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 we do if we tackle well, we're going to win the game. Yep. That I think it's kind of that simple. Um, because I think we're going to be able to put up the points that it, it's going to come down to the defense. So tackling is paramount and not getting down after scores or adversity. Like th- those are the two biggest things with the defense for me. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I would say, you know, yards per play, we had 21.2 yards on per play on third down against BC. And that was awesome. Um, and it was a complete testament to how good you know we played um on third down in that game we also don't need to be putting ourselves which comes to my last point in those positions right Mm -hmm. like on first and second down if i said i wasn't gonna you know harp on things that I'm, i'm hoping to see happen i just hope that we start playing a little bit more for yards and distance on every play every play you know, and unless it's a unique situation where we're trying to set up something very specific that we have high confidence in achieving, then we can't be putting ourselves in that kind of third down position, especially not even if it doesn't bite us right now, or maybe if we squeak out, you know, the Duke game. But if we hit regular ACC play, we can't be putting ourselves in those kind of positions. So uh, I just think we need to do better on first and second down. Um, to give ourselves more manageable thirds, so that that was a both a positive for yeah. the team, but also a worry for us about you know how we're going to play moving moving forward. Yeah, and I think that should be better. I think the running game. I know you said you have to wait till you see it. That's kind of how I did my betting with Alabama last year. It was Bama minus anything until proven otherwise, <laughs> and that's how our run game is. It's until we see it, don't count on it. I'm going to go ahead and just say that we're going to be better on first and second down in the run game in this game. I I just feel like, well, I'm not sure we could get worse, but (laughs) it was 2.3 yards per carry in the first game, 3.4 in the second game against a Conference USA team. So against an FCS team, maybe that comes up to four. Maybe. I don't know. But I'm hoping it does because I want those third downs to be shorter. I don't want to be in as many third downs. Uh, And I think we'll, we'll be okay if those things happen. Playing devil's advocate, we are beat up, particularly on the offensive line, and we're not playing our best football by any stretch. We all see the talent on this team. There is, there's a lot of it. A lot of it is underclassmen, but there's a lot of talent, and they're capable of so much. And if these coaches do a better job of getting them ready for this game, we should easily easily win I, even though they're a ranked fcs team all that you know i told you they were 123rd in sagarin which i know rankings aren't everything but whatever we're 56th so yeah that that sucks for virginia tech historically to be 56 but it's still 70 spots higher or whatever than what Furman is so go out there and kick their butt like if you don't then it's going to be a very very long season and i i already kind of feel like that i already kind of feel like if you give me a second shot 
at my record prediction, I wouldn't be predicting nine and three. And I I feel like very few people would because we haven't seen what we thought we would see, you know, more development, uh, cleaner, cleaner plays, whatever. Um, I'm nervous, man. I, I I really I don't have anything to say. I'm just scared shitless that we're going to lose this game. <laughs> I'm 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 equally as worried that it could be a struggle of a game. I I think we pull out the W. But there there's plenty to be nervous about. It's just this is a team I agree. Yeah, you think your record prediction was dumb, mine's even worse. So I just think it's a team that week in week out we're just going to have to watch for improvement. It's going to be, we're watching, you know, the pot, the pot with water, we're watching it boil and it's going to take yeah. a while and you're not going to see, it's going to be one bubble at a time. And then our only hope is that by the time we get to game I don't know, seven or eight of the season that, you know, we start to see somewhat of a, somewhat of a boil a there. Roaring boil. Yeah. I wouldn't say roar. I like roaring. that analogy though. It's, <laughs> it's very, it's very true. We are watching we are watching the pot boil for sure. Yeah. Let's do a beer break before we do our picks. What are you drinking over there, Pete? I am having the New Bold IPA. This is from Philadelphia Brewing Company, right around the corner from me. It's tasty, man. As soon as I poured it in the glass, it had a very like rich citrus aroma, which if, if you don't always expect that from just your average IPA. I, and this isn't like a mango or an orange IPA or anything like that. It's just a citrusy IPA. And it smelled so good, and the sip matched that smell perfectly. So I'm on board with the New Bold IPA from Philadelphia Brewing. They got a, a nice little uh, kind of like an old-school vibe beer house up in Fishtown, uh, maybe even Northern Liberties. They're right on the border of each other in Philly. And the casino is right there too, and there's a sports book. So if you're ever in Philly – Hit up Philadelphia Brewing, head over to the Sugar House, make some bets. That's where I got married <laughs> at the casino. Um, you have yourself a nice day, but this new bolt is really good. Uh, I would get a sixer of it. What are you having, Robbie? So I am, I, first, the, um, this is going to be a vent and then I'll, I'll get into it. So I was trying to think why we always, we catch some heat about only drinking IPAs and double IPAs and New England style, any na- manner of uh, IPAs. Every time I go to the store, you know what's in the fridge? It's all the IPAs, like some of the Pilsners, things like that. I will. I won't drink Pilsners on this podcast. I refuse to. I'm sorry if you're a Pilsner fan, but it's never going to happen. And, and you know what's always on the shelf is all of the porters and stouts because most people drink porters and stouts usually around 50 degrees where you would drink like an IPA at a lower degree temperature. Um, so they get left out on the shelf. Well, I'm always picking up beer. I have a job. Like I actually work other than just doing this podcast. I know that's so crazy because we're just so talented. But like, so I'm picking up beer on the way home and all of the porters and stouts are on the shelf. I have about after getting off work, by the time we record, maybe like an hour and a half at best till we're recording, my beer is not going to get cold by then and I don't want to drink it warm. So I, I went with it anyway and I'm jumping into my porter season and I went with the Pen Quarter Porter. It's by DC Brow, DC, pretty well known, very well known DC brewery. One of the first to come back into DC. Um, there was a lack of breweries in DC for years and years. I have a you know a poster on my wall of an old DC brewery down back in like the 1950s. And um, 
DC Brow is pretty well known for that. Some of their graphics and arts and some of their beers are, are pretty good. But I went, I jumped into it. I put it in the fridge immediately. I got it cold enough that it's drinkable and it's pretty good. It's a tasty, robust porter. It's only 5.5% uh, in comparison to a lot of things that we drink on here. And I like it. It's a supposedly a limited release. There's nothing too special about it uh, other than I haven't seen a lot of porters that DC Brow puts out there, but I like it. I, I would drink this, you know, I would drink a, a, a few of these, especially when it starts to get colder outside. It's a little bit warm right now, but just to make other people happy that like some of the darker beers, I decided to, to break it out. I think I've had that one. And if I do recall, it was pretty good. Okay. So we won't pick the game, but the line for Virginia Tech Furman is 21 and a half. Uh, that's a lot of points, but also not a lot of points when you consider ODU was 28 and a half. Um, the, fa- the fact that this line is sh- smaller and you're going down a division in football is kind of concerning, but the top 25 teams in FCS are well known to be better than your Yukons and your Charlottes and, you know, by and large, the last, like, third of FBS like those teams are all probably better and the North Dakota states of the world probably could be in the top 25 some years uh in in FBS so it's it's a weird line um but I think it's probably right based on what we've just illustrated as our concerns uh if you had to pick what would you pick Robbie I get text messages from my buddies that sometimes I just say, I just respond, stop texting me. Like I know Virginia tech really well. I know their opponent pretty well. I don't know the line. I, I just, I, I would have put Vegas is still really high on us, which is weird at this point. And I know that's, I know 21 and a half is not really high for an FCS opponent. And I understand that. But it is for Virginia Tech right now playing an FCS opponent after what just happened at ODU and you know losing to BC. We are favored in the BC game. We we're favored by 28 and a half in the ODU game. Not even close. Really, not even close in either of those. We we're off yeah, by 14 no. or what, you know, 13 in the first game or 12 in the first game. So it's just it seems weird. There's more confidence in Vegas than there seems to be anywhere in us. I I don't want to even pick a line because anything I would say would probably be taking under the 21 and a half or or the 21 just because I'm I'm being superstitious about it at this point. Yeah. No, I I I'm I would not be picking Tech in this game. Mm-hmm. If if we were picking it for our pick 'em, I would not be picking Virginia Tech. Let's move on to the picks that we will pick for the pick'em. Pitt at Penn State. This is the in-state rivalry that they I guess they renewed kind of last year. Penn State throttled them late in that game, and Penn State is number 13 this year and getting 17 points. They are 17-point favorites, I should say. So do you want me to go first or do you want to go? I'll start it off. I mean, this is completely because of its Pitt versus PSU. If you actually looked at the individual teams and, you know, Penn State's been – their offense is looking really nice at this point. They're, some of their wide receivers are out of this world. Uh, you could see them putting up a lot of points. I think I think Pitt covers it. They probably lose by like two touchdowns or something along those lines, but they, they squeak it by just because this is a high-energy game. So um, in no way, shape, or form do I think that they're going to beat 
uh, Penn State, but I would go Pitt to keep it, you know, not ugly. Yeah. When they played in Hines last year, you'd think, oh, yeah, Pitt's at home. That That's better for the spread. Well, Penn State travels so well, and Hines is always like a cavernous, empty hole that it actually was probably an advantage for Penn State, and now they're actually playing at Penn State. I'm going to take the Nittany Lions to cover the 17. I think Pitt lost a lot, and UVA covered their spread against Pitt quite easily, um, and I think Penn State might do the same here. Next game, NC State at West Virginia. West Virginia, a home dog by seven points, which makes sense based on the start. We talked about the JMU game. And then they got throttled by Missouri, which was kind of expected with Kelly Bryan and and Missouri being a good team coming off the embarrassing performance against Wyoming. I think I'm gonna take West Virginia in this game. And I know, I know, I know oh my the goodness. line. I'm gonna bet I'm actually gonna bet small. this game with money, not like the When I saw <laughs> when I saw the line, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm taking NC State, no problem. And then I just I just started to think about it more and maybe I'm probably overthinking it probably, but it's very early in the season and we know that JMU is pretty good. And the fact that this West Virginia team who was under a new coaching staff and like the roster was like gutted inside out, they managed to beat JMU and I know they got killed at Missouri. That was going to happen. I think they can keep this NC State game close. NC State beat ECU, who also stinks and has a new coach, by 30 points. And I, I forget who NC State played last week, but I'm going to take WVU. One of my buddies, he's he's got family that's WV fan, WVU fans and then family are Virginia Tech fans, so he always kind of waffles between. We're doing all our actual bets where we're really betting on the weekend, and we're sending out our lines. I did atrocious this weekend. And he's like, yeah, I'm taking WVU. And I responded back, I think WVU is bad. Not bad, but like really, really, really bad. And I said, but I'm not going to take the bet because I don't want to be opposite to you on bets uh, live. And they got throttled. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna go NC State. I, they have, WVU has a lot of, lot of rebuilding to do there. They lost everybody. As I'm looking at the line just now, it's gone to six and a half from seven. So we already we sent out the things earlier. We're picking it at seven. That's what it's going to be on the pick'em. But it's moving and it's moving in the direction of West Virginia. So that's kind of interesting too. Let's see, uh, Clemson at Syracuse is the next game. Clemson's number one. They're going to Syracuse, who just got absolutely embarrassed and in the process embarrassed both me and Robbie because we both picked Syracuse yeah. last weekend. And they got killed. And I think they were having some offensive line issues. Some some guys got hurt or something. Um, 63 to 20 was the final score. And Josh Jackson looked awesome, which also double painful for us. Uh, 27 and a half Syracuse home dogs. When this is the only team in the ACC that's kept it close with Clemson the last two years. It, this is, they are begging us to take Syracuse but just to aid your pick when it opened it was like 17 to Clemson and it went from 17 to 27 and a half that fast so do with that what you will 
<laughs> you have to go first. I'm going to take Clemson only because I think going into last week, Clemson just kind of sat on that lead with the, the Texas A&M game. I mean, if you watched that game, some of the plays that they were making, some of the talent on their team, I was watching at Whole Foods with my wife, just looking at the players that Clemson has. It's it's still remarkable, even with everything that they've lost. Um, and then they just kind of sat on the lead. They didn't really care that much afterwards. Syracuse is a little bit different. Syracuse is the team that everybody has been saying is going to be the one, the only one that can challenge. If there's any game that Dabo has left on his schedule this year to kind of get up for and be like, yeah, we're going to kind of throttle these guys. It's going to be this game. So that is a ton of points. No doubt. I'll be the idiot. I'll take Clemson. Syracuse has beat them what, twice in the past four years. I might be the idiot, but if Clemson's going to come out and do it this season to a team, it's going to be this game, and we'll see if they can. Yeah, at 23 and a half, once once that line started moving up, I was like, okay, something's going on. Taking Clemson, taking Clemson, 26 and a half, taking Clemson, 27 and a half. I'm going to be the other idiot, and I'm going to take Syracuse. So the Carrier Dome... It's got to be good for a couple touchdowns, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you, thirty, like almost thirty points first. The team that's kept it the closest to you. Uh, maybe Tommy DeVito sucks. Maybe their offensive line sucks. But I just think that's so many points. It's too juicy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take. I it. like it. Next one, FSU at number twenty-five, UVA. Yes, UVA popped into the rankings. They are seven and a half point favorites against FSU. I'll go first this time. I'm going to take UVA, and I'm not going to look back. <laughs> I, I, uh, I thought about it. I, I doubled back, and I was like, oh, FSU, you know, maybe. No, they stink. I'm taking UVA to cover until proven otherwise. Yeah, FSU's in a bad spot. I would have liked it without the hook. I mean, I, I don't like that <laughs> at all because I could see this be a seven-point game. But it's at UVA. The only thing that could stop UVA from covering this is if they're just, there's just, they're getting too much media and too much hype at this point that it kind of gets their heads a little bit. Otherwise, talent, everything, if they perform decently well in this game and FSU plays anything close to that they have this season, which is not very good, then it should be UVA to cover. So that was the first one we actually agreed on today. I know. Because we both went to oppo in the first three three ones. Next game. Number nine, Florida, is going to Kentucky. Kentucky is seven and a half point underdogs. This is a tough one because Kentucky just beat Florida last year for the first time in forever. And I was actually very proud of myself last year because that was one of my I, – I felt like Kentucky was going to win. I bet on it, and they did. And so – one of my more proud moments to pick something that goes against whatever it was, 15 years of history or something that also helped tech be the longest streak in the country in terms of wins over an opponent that you play every year. And I think it was and like so 18 la- years too. It was, it was, a yeah, long it was, long. it was long. It might've been, yeah, it could have been real, but Kentucky, they, they beat Florida, Minnesota beat Wisconsin, Cal beat USC. Like all of them happened like one after the other. And now we're the longest one. But anyway, I'm taking Kentucky, long story short. I know they just lost their quarterback to an injury. The backup quarterback played at Troy. I just think they're going to do it at home. I don't know why. 
Yeah, I'll take Florida. And I'm going to I'm going to bet that one as well. That's going to be a money bet, I think for me. I love how how different we are this week. This is fun. All right. Next game, Stanford at UCF. UCF's number 17 and they are seven and a half point favorites. This is another one that kind of raised my eyebrows because the way Stanford just played last week, again, embarrassing Robbie and I, um, I'm shocked that UCF isn't favored by more because UCF is kicking the crap out of people and has been for three years. Go ahead. You just got to keep a point. Like USC played really well in that game. Really, really well in that game. So I get it. I think this line is more indicative of how well USC played and less about, you know, and Stanford lost their quarterback as well. So, you know, it was kind of two hobbled teams. And then all of a sudden, you know, people realized that USC has a really good freshman quarterback that is, could be, you know, exceptional. They, by all accounts, I didn't watch the game. I listened to a lot of, you know, commentary on it. It looked really, really good. So, that's the only thing that throws me off a little bit. And I don't know anything about UCF. So this is going to be a shot in the dark for me, quite honestly, other than knowing the history of UCF. I just always like rooting against UCF at this point since they're national champions. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to go with Stanford. Probably a stupid pick, but this one you can just toss out for me into the into the bushes because I have no clue. Yeah, this is a hard one. I, I liked it because of the 15 games there... None of the other ones were super appealing, and this one is kind of a fun G5 versus P5 across the country, and UCF's been so good. And honestly, I feel like UCF covers so many spreads. Mm -hmm. That could just be a mistaken perception, but I'm going to take UCF, so we're going to be different again. Last year, last week, I should say, last week we only had one game we picked different. This week we only had one game we picked the same. And that was UVA of all games. We picked, we both picked UVA to cover against FSU. Well, we still have one um, more, which is the hardest. Yeah, we have one more game. We're just going to talk about quick because it's not in the pick'em, uh, but it is a ACC game. UNC at Wake Forest, and it's a coastal team that is currently sitting at two and zero in the standings and one and zero in the ACC. And UNC, they have been surprising. I, I didn't expect them to be sitting at 2-0. Me and Robbie both thought Miami would cover last week. They didn't. And I I don't know what to think about UNC and Sam Howell at quarterback and Mac Brown and the coordinators that they have. I'm starting to get worried that they might actually be really good. <laughs> yeah. I'll go first. I'm going to take Wake. I, 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 I think UNC is a lot better than anybody gave him credit for. I think... Mac Brown has re-energized the locker room. Um, I think there is a little bit of, um, I think that energy has carried into the first couple of games. I think it's going to wane at some point in a few games. And I think wake is the type of offense that could make that happen. I mean, they are not, they're not going to shut it down. UNC's defense is not extremely dominant, right? They've been playing very well, but it hasn't really been, shutting anybody down and i think wake is a team that can keep up with them with uh some offensive firepower and when you talk about wake forest you talk about a well-coached team obviously not the most talented team but always well coached and you wouldn't say that's necessarily who unc has faced in the first two weeks south carolina and miami being well coached teams one of them has a brand new head coach 
The other one is Will Muschamp. So uh, I, I do, I do like the wake pick and I am, and we're not really, this isn't really for anything. Um, it's in Winston-Salem. So I'm going to take wake. It's, it's at three. So I feel like this is going to push. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of what I think is going to happen here. But I feel more comfortable being on the wake side because of Clawson, because of UNC being on the road. Um, but you know what? UNC is probably going to screw me for the third week in a row here and end up covering that spread. That is it for picks. That's it for the pod. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was, um, again, the second week in a row where we're, me and Robbie aren't exactly able to just like be super ecstatic and enthusiastic about the team. We want to be, we really, really want to be. And maybe we're like that in a week. Uh, but this team is still growing and it's, it's, it could be, there could be a lot of podcasts this year that have a more nuanced conversations about what's happening within the team rather than just celebrating big wins. I couldn't agree with that more. And it's, I feel this year, I feel more level-headed than I probably have in a while, even though I was really excited. But, you know, I um, I got taught my lesson during the BC game. I still think there's a lot of upside for this team throughout the year. I mean, the schedule still sets up the way that we originally thought it. UNC might be a little bit more trouble than we anticipated. Miami is a little bit less trouble. If they can take this game and parlay it into, you know, another good game against a Duke team, and then, you know, start to get into the ACC slate and develop each week. I think there's still a lot of upside for this team for a decent season. Am I saying it's going to be a great season? I, I'm not sure yet, but I, I do see the development on the field between game one, game two. And I think Furman is going to be very indicative of whether they took the lessons from those two and are really starting to apply them. And I think it could show a lot, even though against the opponent, it may not be all that meaningful if we're watching the game and looking at the actual plays and seeing what's happening and watching where the mistakes are. I think there's stuff to be gleaned from this game, even though it's not the the greatest opponent in the world. And quite frankly, like you said, I'm I'm still a little frightened. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's why if they were to cover this 21.5-point spread against Furman, it wouldn't it wouldn't get me all the way back to where I was at the beginning of the year, but it would be like, okay, they 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 did something against what I consider to be a pretty decent team in Furman, a pretty challenging offense to defend, and they went out there and they won by twenty two plus. That would be that would actually make me feel better than beating ODU by twenty two plus because this team's better than ODU. I I am one hundred percent convinced that Furman is better than ODU, so. Go out there, score the most points you have this season yet, get to 40, and hold them down on defense. I am super, super, super scared. <laughs> I, I want that on the record. Um, but it could swing either way. We could have a devastating result, or we could have a result in covering the spread where I'm like, all right, we can still win the Coastal. Like it's, it's it, We're still in such an early phase of the season that it could go either way very easily. Yeah, with an ACC game as the first game of the year, it throws everything off. That's what's the whole, because it's still a seven-point loss against what I think is going to end up turning out to be potentially this year because like an eight-win BC team. I mean, if I look at who they're going to end up playing this year, it could be, you know, that's not great, but that's a good team. Yeah. And 
You lost by seven. It happens. We've gone on too long. You can hit us up on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. Gmail is 2DVT at gmail.com. The website, 2DVT.com. You can stream all of our podcasts, check out all the beers that we have, and check out Robbie's stats on the site. The Pick'em is going on. Um, It's been fun. I already congratulated the people on that. Make sure to get your picks in before the game start. And uh, Instagram, 2DVT as well. Until next time when hopefully we're not just burning the whole thing to the ground. (laughs) Go Hokies. Hokies.